Hello, my name is Charles Johnson, and this is the Alabama Entrepreneur Podcast. Alabama entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the small business experience. Natasha, what year did you start your business? 2012. And do you remember your first day of business? I remember the first event we hosted at the farm, and it was a birthday party for a, I don't remember the girl, but it was like a child's, children's birthday party, and just having everyone there and hosting them for the first time, and them kind of seeing what the farm was through my eyes. Your very first thing that you did for 1818 Farms was a birthday party, and was that uh, with making a flower arrangement, or what, what did the farm look like back on that first day? Well, it's changed a lot, but it was mainly just doing a tour and, and like they get the children gathered eggs, they met the pig, they met at that point we had several goats, the goats, the sheep, and they were learning about the sheep's wool, the history of the breed. And so it's really different. I think at that point we probably mainly just had a couple hundred flowers where we have thousands of flowers now. So it's evolved a lot. I'm not even sure if the interior of our garden house was totally finished. I'd have to go back and look. Do you remember the steps that it took for you to start your business? Like when you first came up with the concept, like did you first write it down on a, a napkin or what What happened to make you decide that you wanted to kind of expand the farm into a business? Right, well we had, st- the farm started, we were on a family vacation and we were visiting, um, we're up in North Carolina and we fell in love, my son fell in love with a baby doll sheep. and. Really, when we first started, it was just going to be a way to teach our children about sustainability and a family building project. And as time went on, you know, a few months later, then I thought, I saw how much my children loved learning about the animals and the whole process. That's how we sort of turned into an event venue, more or less. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. It really just, if you'd see where I am today and where we were then, it's not really where I thought I'd be. I'm happy this is where I am. But it wasn't where I thought, you know, it isn't really what I thought it would have become. You know, I thought we would just be more of an agritourism destination. Okay. Well, very interesting. Is there any special requirements that you have to have in a business whenever you have farm animals and retail and all of that different licenses? No, not really, because the farm animals is totally separate. I mean, we have a farm ID and we do um, some registration to the government for like scrappy identification for the sheep, but really that's gonna be totally separate. Within the town, of course, we have to be zoned agriculture. Um, and for us, the beauty of it is, you know, we operate the farm in Mooresville and then our corporate office is based out of Huntsville. So we have Huntsville licensing for that. You know, it's very, it's, you know, two different pieces of the business that work hand in hand, but are also 30 minutes apart. Do you have a business license in Mooresville? Oh yes, we have a business license and then we have to get each year like a conditional use permit because of the zoning in our town. So, you know, you apply for that every year and then, you know, really state what kind of things will be happening at the farm because we want to be good neighbors and we don't want, you know, to interrupt daily life of all of our, um, that close knit community there. Right, and how many people live in Mooresville? It's around 58 around 58 people, and how many different homes or farms, if you will, are in that area? The homes, I would have to say, maybe are 
12 or 15 maybe and then the farms really we're the only one in Mooresville but if you go outside of Mooresville proper and you're maybe on 65 565 they're large you know large crop farming there but in Mooresville we're the only one just right at the front of town okay and having the licenses in Mooresville is there actually a place in that town where you go to get a license <laughs> no no or... you just melt I mean <laughs> The town has a mayor. It's an incorporated town, but I always say whoever's the mayor gets the short and short stick or whatever, the short straw when they're, you know, pulling the straw, but the little, you know, just find out who's going to be doing that position. But it has a town council, so you have someone who's in charge of business licensing, licensing for photographers coming into town, just that kind of thing. So you, it just has a P.O. box, and so everything's volunteer there. Did you have to get, you know, a tax ID number, just one tax ID number? for the retail side of it? We have a tax ID number, and then every because everything runs under one umbrella, even though we're at two different locations. So you have your tax ID number, and your, you, know, you have your EIN, and that kind of thing. It's just the managing of the two separate locations. You know, everything comes in because you're in different counties. And I know that on your products now, you have barcodes. You didn't start with that. Yes, I would never would have thought I needed a barcode. The barcodes have been very helpful for us because we just scan them and now we don't have to enter it manually in the computer every time someone comes up. So what is the benefit of you having the barcode? That's the benefit for us. Yes, mainly for us because we should, you know, we hope to implement an inventory tracking system, which will be great for us. You can use that barcode and scan it in as you're tracking. But really it was just a huge request for us from our customers who are running that type of system, the point of sale system. That's a huge difference. It's faster for the customers. They can track inventory more accurately. So really, you know, the first time we were requested with it, that was sort of new for us to learn because we, you know, you have to go out and you have to buy the, the numbers and, you know, record the numbers and really track everything. And when you look at all the SKUs we have, that's kind of another whole animal that's keeping up with all that. And, you know, the point of sale systems now have become complex in a sense that you can get any information that you could possibly want everything is usually in those systems now uh, and I suppose that if we ordered you would say yep Terame orders that product a lot of that we know that when they yes. call they're going to be wanting that product yes we know that and also for us running the numbers it helps us know in production because we still make almost all the products uh, you know there's things like textiles like that that we outsource but you know right now we can't wait till October and start preparing for fourth quarter you know, we'll have a meeting and, you know, we'll be running the reports now and we'll meet in August. And then we know then, based off of projections, what we have to produce because otherwise we'd never get it done. Right. And fourth quarter is always the strongest for everybody. Right. And so preparing for that, uh, you know, it's kind of nice once Christmas gets here and you can take another breath. Yes, yes. And it's for interesting for us because our cycle is, is extremely different from any other business because... We come out of fourth quarter and then we go straight into market and then you're hoping to attract new customers there and then so you have to have product coming out of fourth quarter we sort of have a little lull there in february but then we immediately start the farm ramps up february the end of february into march so everything has to be prepped and planned by april it's a little bit different where we used to could kind of balance that you just had to add more employees to really be able to handle that kind of workload 
then you also have in the new year Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. May has become sort of another uh, big opportunity for retail sales because of graduations, Mother's Day. Uh, there's so much going on, it seems like, in the month of May now. Right, and then we're gearing up now for Father's Day. So that's what we were doing today as we were talking about that and launching. We have some new, you know, different products, and we're trying to really promote that because of our gentleman line. That's a big selling point for us there. And then we also, really in our business, you have to time out. We're launching a new shea cream scent, the Southern Tea. We knew this is a great time to launch it because you're getting it ready to go into July market. But also stores start thinking, just like us, we need to start thinking about what inventory we're going to have on the shelves for fourth quarter. What was the first product that you made? I think the first product I ever made was, well, there are two things kind of hand in hand. I did some soap and I used some dried herbs that we had grown at the farm. And then I did the goat's milk bath tea because we had so much dried lavender. And I was like, what am I going to do with all this lavender? And also, at that point when we started, we primarily, a lot of people don't realize this, we did four farmer's markets a week. And that took so much time because we were selling, at the beginning, produce and a little bit, of a few cut flowers. Like, we started out probably 80% produce, 20% flowers. And then over time, we evolved. At one point, we were probably 50-50. And then we flipped over. Now we're 100%. We have one section of raspberries for the greenery for flowers so I would still say we're 100% flowers now what as far as the retail business goes or well the wholesale business uh, but you have retail and wholesale what percentage is, is that of your business now the retail or the wholesale I guess between retail wholesale and the flower part of the business the retail and wholesale are always going to be number one. The flower supports it. This is sort of how we look at it. If you look at our business model, the center of our business model is the farm. And really, if you didn't have the events, the animals, the things that people are interested in, like they're interested in seeing when a new lamb's born, if there's a new product that has an animal on it, without the farm as the heart of it, we're just another bath company. And I think that's what differentiates us is because people go and they find us and they know I can go to the farm and do a, a bloom stroll. I can do an open farm day. I can do a calligraphy class. I can do a yoga retreat. People today, they're so with the internet, you can you have access to so many products. But a lot of times what people are, the, what triggers them to buy that product is the relationship maybe they have online with that company, even if they can't visit us. It, right. It's about a relationship more. It's so the buyer is different now, I think. And having a relationship with the animals, I know, uh, you know, going onto your Instagram page, uh, you have all the animals on there, and you immediately fall in love with the animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't help uh, but see a, a video, you know, of one of the dogs, uh, uh, or the sheep playing, or just uh, still pictures. I mean, they're adorable, and I know that you also use that on your labeling and you did some new things with the uh, the Swedish dish gloss yes. and things like that and I think that's what you ask a word about what would you say and I think the thing that we always want to come across is authentic when we have meetings I want us to be authentic like we had someone who came from Canada and she came to Huntsville and she came to our office and came to the farm visited the farm and her thing was I want people to come and visit us and then see this is really what this person does because then they understand this is a family business this is their livelihood there's a face 
behind the product and they're going to be more likely to be a loyal customer. And, and as you just mentioned, this is a family business. Can you tell me what roles your husband and children play in the business? Yes, my husband is the CFO and then he is handling, like anytime y'all are purchasing, you know, he's going to handle behind the scenes, you know, the financials, the taxes, he runs the website, um, he makes sure all that is, you know, running smoothly. This summer, one of my children, he's like, we're in the process of changing out our website. So he was crossing over like 60 something blocks. So he's working at that age. We're able to help with that. They work on the flower truck. Eliza's walking Fletch, the puppy who has too much energy tonight. They parked cars last weekend at the uh, open farm day. So there are different things, you know, that they may or may do throughout throughout you know the season it, it changes a little bit when they're in school because by the time they get back from school you know it's dark in here and the when you're in the winter months so it's a little bit different they probably would Lawrence does a lot with the animal care too um, both of us do you know caring for the animals I deliver all the lambs he is big into just the feeding and you know keep making sure we have enough hay for the year like there's a whole other side you have to think about taking care of all these animals throughout the year just having one animal like a dog or a cat can be challenging so having a farm of animals I'm sure has its challenges yes just to balance and know what they need you know if it's minerals if it's feed if it's hay you know there's a lot of different things and there's a lot of cleaning that goes on so I'm primarily more in the garden side and the lambing side and he's more on the just organizing and making sure everything's smooth at the farm is there someone that can come out to look for the care for the animals I mean, do you have a veterinarian that can we do have come a, out? We do have a vet. He's in Hartzell. But, like, the if there's a, it's rarely we've, a lot of times I'll bring them to him. And, but a lot of it with the delivery is you pre, you have a, around 30 minutes once the water bag presents itself. He's 30 minutes away. So I've just had to learn all that on my own. Um, he's been really great at, in the beginning, I was terrified to give someone a shot. And now I just, you know, we just do it like it's, brushing your teeth I mean you just do it I mean you haven't you know at first I thought I was going to pass out the first time I did it but uh, with the delivery if it's too late by the time you have the vet there like this year all seven of our lambs had to be pulled so if okay. you'd asked me 10 years ago could I do that I'd be like there's no way I can do that but you just read a lot of books you and I think it's with anything in business you position yourself with like-minded people I have a lot of great mentors when we started that we purchased other sheep from and in the beginning if I had a problem and you just study as much as you can because you have to make a quick decision. It's the same in business as it is delivering a lamb. There's times when you have to that you have to make that decision like that. Do you decide which lambs you're going to keep and which ones you're going to sell? Yes. This year we're not we're probably not going to keep any this year. Usually we only retain maybe one to two max for our breeding program. We retained two last year because our foundation's bought. We started with four and we're at 17 now. And we retired two of our first four. Lulu, who's on the cuticle, and yes. a buttercup, who didn't ever, never got a product, but she probably should have because she's precious. But they had uh, each had ewes, which are females, and they looked exactly like them when they were babies. And I knew I was probably going to retire them. There's a chance I might bring them, breed them again if they're seven. They're really, you know, well, this year we didn't breed them. Okay. So we kept two, and then this year, more than likely, you know, I know four of the seven, or five of the seven, where they're going, and then two, I'm kind of waiting, we genetic test. So we genetic test yesterday, we're sending all the tissue out to Colorado, and then we'll, from there, decide what we're going to do with the other two. That's fascinating. <laughs> now, at the farm, 
I know you're working it every day and, and doing what you need to do. Do you have help employees at the farm? Yes. Uh, luckily we do a few years until a couple, probably four years ago, it was just my husband and myself. And then we hired um, like an assistant farm manager who actually worked, all of our employees work at the corporate office who they're cross-trained to make product or at the farm. And so like right now we're heavy at the farm. So we hired two new employees this year. So there's four of us there. But we are in, you know, we were at 5,000 plants last year at over 11,000 this year. So, you know, it's a, it's a, just getting the actual, I don't know if you saw on Instagram when we were testing the irrigation, pulling everything up, just that whole process took weeks to get everything ready. I do a garden plan out because a lot of the, what people don't realize is like a lot of the things we have planted that we're just, we haven't even harvested yet. I had to order, if I didn't start it from seed, we do about 7,000 ourselves from seed and about 3,500, maybe it's 8,000 probably from seed. We do 3,500 in plugs, which is a very tiny plant, a small plant. And um, and that is just primarily because the labor and the space it takes, if you don't have a greenhouse, it's just too much. And you can buy, you can pay someone to do that. So we go through someone and it's a grow and sell in Pennsylvania. And you know, what you have to realize is I had to order that in December. Because in December, if it's not ordered in December, I can't get it by April 1st, because they have to grow it for me. So there's okay. a lot of planning. Like you can't just say, okay, it's March 15th. Right. We're going to start the garden today. There's really not a day in this business that goes by that there's no, we're not doing something with the garden. So last Friday I had to have all the ranunculus, tulip, anemone, all that had to be ordered June 1st for me to have it for October. Wow. It's a huge cycle on top of, you know, the other side that we do. But we're really trying to grow more commercially now in the flowers. And, you know, the flower truck has really been fun to watch that grow. And it's fun. And to also go to different businesses uh, to try to kind of expand uh, for just people that are coming in to those businesses. And they just make your day when you see those flowers and being able to arrange flowers, pick and kind of choose what you want in your bouquet. Right. And that's one of the reasons um, I've always loved flowers. Um, I just... If you think about flowers, they always evoke emotions, is what I always tell people. You can rarely in your mind would you look back and not remember a time you've been given flowers. Or you're, I'm sure your wife will remember. I remember most times. And and even if it's a condolence, people remember those things. So they have it's such a powerful product, a flower is. Right. And they're used in weddings, they're used as sympathy, they're used as thank yous, they're used as I love you. So that's one thing. I, there's such a way we can impact people by growing these flowers. Well, they are beautiful. How many employees do you have on your wholesale side? Kinda and I shifts. guess that Yeah, and it kind of shifts over from our, you know, we have three employees that are all full-time. They're always in the Huntsville. Like, they're always in that office. But then we have our other employees at the farm. They may be coming. And then we have another, like, four or five who are part-time. You know, there's some people who may work 20 hours a week. We have some people who only work 10 hours a week. You know, we have some moms who, and there's some people, like a mom we may have trained to make one product, and that's what she does. You know, she may only make that one product, but when she comes in, she knows that's what she's going to make. So, it, right. um, but yeah, so it's it's around 10 probably employees, and we don't really count ourselves. Lawrence and I should probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the kids too, Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, and so how many retail stores are you in now with 1818 Farm products? I think it's 
400, like 400, 425 maybe. Okay. You and, know, and, that, and it changes, it fluctuates. You know, some people, unfortunately, some people go out of business. I mean, that happens. Some people may not continue. But I think the last, we try and keep our retail, we have a retail locator on our um, website because we're trying to drive our customers because that's the beauty of social media is we have every couple of weeks someone will message us, I live in, so-and-so Maryland who's the closest is there a store by me and so we're trying at all times to drive to our retail locations the wholesale accounts the retail locations so that's one of the things that we try to do and I think we're in maybe 45 states I don't remember the last exactly the last ones that are left but yeah so it's around 45 so around 45 states and at first I was thinking maybe the southeast but of course I know that you were in Montana or uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yeah, and we've got, I think, Montana. I know we're missing Hawaii as one, and we have Alaska, but I can't remember exact. I have to go back and look, but I know Hawaii is one of the maybe five we're missing. And it's funny that you mention Hawaii right now because right before we started this interview, a lady that we were just talking to sent 1818 Farms to a friend in Hawaii. So, uh, you know, at least it's been in Hawaii. It's been in Hawaii. And we ship, you know, we ship um, our online store. We ship all over the world. So, but like I said, we prefer, if we can, to get it to our retailers. Because then, you know, and instead of an employee making a product, we're shipping product. So. I know that you go to trade shows in Atlanta and Las Vegas. How, how does that work when you, when you go? Sometimes there's a wait to get into those places. I Sometimes there will be, like, we did temporaries for years, and then we moved into the American Made Collective um, a couple years ago. Uh, I think it, this will be our fourth show in there. So we're more in a showroom where you go and lock the, you, know, you lock the key and you leave. You lock the door with the key and you leave, and it's set up, and we go back. We bring some products with us. In the temporaries, you had to come and do a build-out, and it's just, it was very intense for me just to go over. You know, you spent the same amount of days, but you were building out, and I think the traffic's a little different in these showrooms like that. But you go, typically we go twice a year, and the buyers, it's, you know, buyers come, and then they will maybe try your products. You have new buyers, like we usually do an ad in a catalog there, and they will, you know, that goes out to, y'all probably get one. There's a big, thick book, and it it shows the different ads of who's going to be there. I also think the market is changing a little. There's a lot more online platforms now. They're wholesale platforms, because I think a lot of people with the internet and Instagram and social media, I think businesses follow other businesses and that are that they trust and they see what products they have in their store. And I think a lot of people are going to the online platforms who don't want to maybe venture out as much, you know, to go to the market. So that's the beauty for us is we're able to find accounts not only at market, but also through this online platform these books get sent out and then that way people can also sort of plan their day because uh, the market it's a pretty big place oh it's and huge, it's huge. so if you when you get this and we do get that book and and you do kind of have to plan out where you're going to be to try to make the most of your time I can see why putting an ad in that would probably be very beneficial I think so uh, I know that even uh, America Smart we've been working on our like an online portal where you can put a lot about your products because so many people are going digital. They're tr- I know at the last market they were trying to have even an app where it could help you find where the people are. Although I think the problem there is in any building is the Wi-Fi and right. the cell service. But I think you have to because the building is what, 
15, 17 floors, three buildings, you would never get through if you didn't. And there's also, if you didn't do the ad, how they, people might not find you. It's, it's an investment, but I think it's one, you know, a lot of advertising, as you know, with anything, I think pays off because you have to be able to get yourself in front of the prospective buyer. And there are so many people that go to market and try not to get lost through all of the different floors, trying to make your way through can, can be challenging for the people that are attending these shows. Okay, when you're at these shows trying to get these people to look at 1818 Farms, once they're in your door, how do you, do you give them samples? What, what is special that makes people say, I want this 1818 Farms when they go back home to wherever they're coming from? We usually will, um, we, I let them approach us, you know, come into the showroom and then we'll give them a, usually the shake rooms that we always start with because it's our number one seller and we let them try and tell them, you know, about how it's minimal ingredients and we talk to them about that. But really, I think what that final, there's two things I think that are the final decision for them. It's, well, really three. It's the quality of the product. It's the packaging. I tell people all things equal, the best packaging wins every time. And then it's talking to us and it's about back to the word authentic. When we can say we're a working farm, what, you know, the name of 1818 Farms is because Al, uh, the town was incorporated in 1818. Alabama didn't become a state until 1819. Our families lived here for six generations. These are our sheep. These, you know, this sheep that you're trying on the shake cream. Here's Sweet Pea. She's on the shake cream. So I think it all ties back in to kind of what I was saying earlier is you're giving them a complete story of a business that kind of offers a little bit of everything. And like you said, authentic. That's what people want today mm-hmm. is something that is authentic. Do you have a favorite trade show? Do you do you prefer Atlanta over Las Vegas? Yes, or I, they... pref- I prefer Atlanta. We're not going back to Las Vegas this next time. Okay, and is that because Atlanta is closer? Closer, the buyer, you have a much higher number of buyers there. Like Atlanta to me is the, we haven't done New York, but even my friends who do New York, Atlanta is the market you go to. You know, it's just, I guess when John Portman, when he, when he came up with this concept, he just put so much into it. I mean, you know, now it's changed from, uh, to I think AMC, or maybe it's IMC has bought, purchased that. So it's a little bit, going through a little bit of kind of uh, growth, you know, and changes. But I think Atlanta is the place to go. You have people, international buyers that come there. And it's probably my, it's definitely the favorite. And we're lucky that it's so close and easy and accessible. Although it's big, it does seem to be laid out extremely well. Uh, at Las Vegas is nice. It's just it falls for us the first week in August, which for flower harvest is the peak. And so we did that last year, and we were like, okay, let's regroup. We may go back. You know, there's a chance we could go back in the winter, but it's you're trying to balance out. Okay, I really need to be here at these days because if I'm not there, we can't have the bloom strolls. You know, there's a lot of things we can't do that if, I'm, right. if I'm not there. I mean, I guess Lawrence could try and do that, but we'll see. Because there is so much going on all the at time. At that. And then you, when you're at peak, I mean, you can't tell the flowers, hey, <laughs> I'm going to be gone for seven days. Wait until August 7th or whatever. Because that you have that window, you know, the peak window. Uh, we harvest through end of October if we don't have a frost. But the peak is mid-July, which we already are in Atlanta. And so it was like, okay, we can't be out for two peaks. Right. So. Okay. 
Now, I know that you uh, mentioned, you know, your husband, Lawrence, is the CFO of the company. And do you still have an accountant uh, that you use or? Yes, we have an accountant. So that does our, you know, that I guess checks the P's and Q's. Okay. And I guess having that added, uh, just safety net, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, is is important. It's good. Luckily, Lawrence has an MBA in finance. So that is, you know, I tell him all the time, I'm so lucky because you do the things that I would not ever want to do. And he probably thinks I do the things he would never want to do. You know, we balance out, you know. Well, and, you know, accounting is hard because there's so much to it. And, you know, the rules change every year. And so it can be very complex. So, you know, being a small business owner, sometimes you can't do everything. Right. Sometimes you do have to hire some experts uh, that do this day in and day out, and that is what they do. I think it's important to at least take a look at having someone that can help you figure out what's the best for your business. I agree. Uh, do you have an attorney? Oh, yes. Yes. Definitely okay. an attorney. You really need to because we have a lot of... Um, some of our names are trademarked and you know you just really need to have you know if you're going to have a bat you have to have a tra- an attorney who's going to do like trademarking for us and things like that right and you know there are a variety of attorneys there is trademark attorneys there's business attorneys did you find an attorney that can incorporate all that into one thing or an office an office yes because like we initially before i think it was prior we were probably before y'all were even an account like we met with someone they're very like there's one attorney in Alabama and she works for our firm she's out of Birmingham and I had her look at all the labeling to make sure we were hitting I mean you felt like you were hitting all the FDA guidelines but I want an attorney to look at this and make sure we're hitting all the FDA because there's a lot of labeling you know the way the product has to be packaged and labeled so it really we got lucky that everything fell under you know we've been able to keep it in one house and uh use the same firm which is great because then they all kind of know your business model and what you need to do where they can all kind of work together right and you know in your your products you know it's going on people's skin and so you have a whole different uh, scenario than what most people right have right uh, because you are developing these products from your farm from these fresh ingredients and so that can be very complicated i'm sure yes and as far as insurance goes and you know and i don't want to get too much into this with accountants and uh, lawyers and and insurance agents but insurance is also uh, a pretty important part of business another cost but a necessary cost yes and so uh, have you found an agent that has been able to kind of help you with all of your different needs and you have a lot of different needs. Yes and that was a challenge for them in the beginning because you have the eggs, you have visitors to the farm, you have dinners, you have the products so we had to really work with our um, insurance company to make sure we had the correct coverage and that is a challenge because there aren't a lot of, like I was saying earlier, there aren't a lot of businesses like us that fit this model. Right. You know, when you go in and they have to decide, well, how are we going to cover all this? So, but they made it work. So, luckily, I mean, every you know, every year you always wonder when August rolls around and we have to renew. You think, what's going to happen? <laughs> so. Right. And 
were you able to find a good health insurance for your family? Yes, we have. And that's, I'm sure, with you as being self-employed. That's a, always a challenge. Health insurance is a challenge. And, uh, you know, we always say that it is one of our biggest challenges today. And so it's going to continue to be a challenge for some time. Uh, and, you know, small businesses can't pull together uh, to try to help bring costs down. I know there's been talk about that. Which would be nice. Uh, which would be very nice. We're just nice. right around the street, our corporate office. <laughs> We're like right there. Right. It, it would be nice. And, you know, when you have, you know, 50 million small businesses, uh, it would be nice if somehow they could tie together to help, uh, you know, bring these costs down. But I'm sure that they're one day going to work on that and, and help small business out a little bit more, hopefully. Why do you think that you have been so successful? I think it's my work ethic. You get up early in the morning, and I know that sometimes you're out there at 2.30 in the morning. Yes. Do you, do you ever get a full night's rest? Yes, I do. Well, lambing, no, not so much. Lambing, I'm so happy when the lambs are born because I'm in the barn, I'm in my cot, or I'm coming down to check, so it is. But I, I think that, I shouldn't say it's just your work ethic because you can be have a great work ethic and not be successful. I think it's work ethic plus implementation. Like goal, you know, you have a goal and you implement a plan. You have a goal and a plan and you implement the steps to make that successful. But you have to have a great work ethic. And also, my mind is constantly thinking on the next thing. That's just the way I'm, I've told people before in the interview, and that's the way I'm wired. If you're not thinking about the next thing, you're probably going to get left behind in business because somebody else is going to think of the next thing. And you have to be evolving and changing with the times and what people are interested in, the products they want to see. You know, on the way here, I was thinking, okay, well, you know, in December, we, uh, January, we need a new product for market. I'm thinking on the drive here, what's that product going to be? Because you're a business and you want to know what's new. So you have to be, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that, but those things combined to success, I think, are, are, are that. And I also think having a great team. You, if you have a subpar team, you're not going to be successful. And I, we're surrounded with great employees and who are like family and who treat this business like it's their business. And that is hard to find people like that. Well, and every time I see anybody that works with you, they are always so excited. Like when they come in, they're always touching the products here. And you can tell that they're so excited to see them. And I know that they just left a product uh, and then they're coming here and they're still excited to see it. And so that excitement goes a long way. Uh, you can tell that they're very proud of the product. And I think that shows, you know, with the quality that you have, uh, that's what... And I think they take ownership. Take ownership. They ownership when you're making something and you're producing that good. I mean, they want to make sure that last ribbon's tied correctly. I mean, you know what I mean? It's the little things and their attention to detail. And I think hopefully our customers see that but that's them I mean that's them behind the scenes I mean they care and they want our products to be the best and you mentioned you're you're always looking you know what's what's out there what's next kind of going something that has happened in our businesses is that you know uh, we'll have a product 
and it's a pretty good seller for us, but they discontinue it. And I'm sure that across the board, they've read the SKUs and they're like, well, this is a sinking product, so it's time to retire this product. Have you retired a product yet? Yes, we have retired soaps that we just, you know, because we're going to we're gonna look at the, run the numbers and see what's the best seller. And there's some SKUs we don't want to have more than 10 in that category. And if we bring something in, we might say, okay, what's the let's drop these two or let's drop this we maybe a, we dropped a kit really it was because they discontinued the jar that the kit went in you know what I mean and we were like we love the jar the kit was okay it was a great concept but it didn't sell that well you know it wasn't a big seller for us so we have dropped a few things before and then we also retire out things like we you know the beautiful pencil sketched towels we had maybe two or three years ago, after a while, you know, people want those, but I'm like, well, they're retired. We have to come to the next thing, you know, so we do kind of, so they'll have new things to add into their, especially in the home section. Right. And, you know, you, you want to listen to your customers, but at the same time, you also have to know what's going to be selling and what's not going to be selling. You kind of have to see the future, if you will, because you're creating it, trying to know where it's going to go. Yeah, and the trends. You have to know, be up on what are the trends. And the trends are hard, aren't yes. they? The trends are hard. Um, you just study a lot, and, you know, it's buyer behavior. It's a little bit, you know, it's different with that, but it's studying, and I think it goes into social media, too. You can kind of see what people are, what's hot, what's the hashtag. Okay, an interesting way to do that. Well, what would you say would be your most memorable experience since the conception of this business is there anything that stands out one particular thing I wouldn't necessarily say it's one particular thing but I would it have to be all the relationships I think of all these people that I've met and become great you know I had uh, have great relationships with accounts I met 2013 at Atlanta market that are still I would say we only signed maybe what 10 accounts that we knew nothing of what we were you know we were new and a lot of those accounts are still with us. So the relationships, and it's people who still have my cell number, or we know when their birthday is, those kind of things. I think definitely the relationships that have been formed. I think seeing the joy in visitors' eyes, like we had the sheep shearing this year, and just seeing, you know, like everyone's in awe when they see the sheep shear or they see the lamb. So it'd be hard to pinpoint one thing, but it would always go back to the relationships. Oh, that's nice. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add to this interview? Is there anything that we've left out that you'd like people to know about being in business? Just work hard. Work hard every day. Keep your new ideas going. And don't be afraid to try something new. And also remember, it's always okay to say no. Because <laughs> I, 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 uh, a friend of mine told me once, when you say no to something, you're remember you're saying yes to something else. Very and true. I, I really like that. I never thought of it that way. And I said, I'm going to remember that from now on. Time is a very important asset. So that, that is a great thing. Uh, okay, so now we have come to the last question. Uh, so the final question asked is given to us by our previous entrepreneur. Our last podcast was with Paige Brown with Taco Mama. Do you know Paige? course and so Paige asks can you tell us about the meal that you plan with your dinners 
uh, outside? Yes, I can because I just spoke to the shelf about it today. So um, a lot of it in the years past, when we grow primarily produce, we use most of our produce. Now we use things like we have some flowering herbs that he'll be using in the dinner. We use a lot of our eggs. Like he may do deviled eggs with a twist. He may do, like one year he did homemade s'mores and he had to have so many eggs to do the homemade marshmallow. So, I, you know, he'll be doing something with our eggs. But now what we try to do is we, our chef is um, Chef Jacob Reed. We'll go, he was going to the farmer's market and talking to, he, we do a lot with Champion Farms, I know. And we'll be doing, the menu will be based on what he can get the freshest in season. So no menu is, you know, it's a set menu. It changes from dinner to dinner. He rarely serves the same thing twice. All right. Well, as we close, Natasha, please write down your last question for our next guest and tune in to find out how they will answer it on the next episode. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. This is great. Thank you. If you want to enhance your experiences throughout the great state of Alabama, I urge you to seek out locally owned small businesses. They will certainly increase your happiness. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening.